At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we kick off the new year, we invite you to tune into our current series, The Forgotten Virtue, Learning to Love Again, where we'll discover how God defines love, Christ personifies love, and the Spirit empowers us to love one another. Together, we'll experience healing and hope in the love God designed for us, a love we carry through every season of life. So, family worship service. Let me explain this real fast because this is different, right? It's very different than our normal Sunday morning. There are certain uh, months that have five Sundays. During those months, like January, where there's five Sundays in a month, we take the fifth Sunday and we set aside for family worship. And it does a few things. One, it does give us some insight to the ministry that's taking place with the next generation, right? As Tracy's leading out, as Ben's leading out, we're able to see the work that those teams are doing, which is so encouraging. It adds a lot of energy to the service, doesn't it? There's just a, a lot going on. The other thing it does, though, it lets, our, it lets our kids see us as we worship. It lets our kids see us as we open the Word of God and as we continue to stretch and to grow as we study the Word. And so what we're going to do is we're going to start this morning's sermon a little bit different. I'm going to say like the first line of a song, and you'll tell me the next line of the song. Does that make sense? Like if I say, row, row, row your boat, don't say row, row, row your boat like it's a round. I know it's a round, but that's not what we're doing. That's not the game. That's a different game. This game, you would say, you know, gently down the stream, right? So here we go. Let's try it. Row, row, row your boat. No, you got to do it on rhythm. You got to stay with me now. Stay here. Let's try it again. We got another song. If I went, amazing grace. Where's Kip? He's missing this. Y'all sound so good. That's pretty. If you're home, you got to be doing this too. You got out loud, not just like. You got to open your mouth and do it. You got to participate. Now we practice. This one's for real. Here we go. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy with stars of rain. You notice I didn't do the happy because I thought that's going to sound ridiculous. I ain't doing that. Here we go. Last one. Jesus loves me. This I know. And that's what I want to talk about today. Jesus loves me. This I know, because the reality is we sing that song, and we're like, for the Bible tells me so. No, I get it. His word tells me that, right? The scriptures tell me that God's love. That's how I know. But sometimes things happen, right? This week, I was talking to my friend, and we're exchanging emails. He doesn't even call me Pastor Billy. I'm just Billy, right? And so he's like, hey, Billy, um, I'm really actually having a hard time right now. Like, I'm having a hard time seeing God. I'm having a hard time hearing from God. I'm just, and of course, as a pastor, I say the thing you expect me to say. Well, he sees you. He sees you. And it was encouraging in that moment. But I think we know that feeling, right? We know that feeling of, Lord, I want to see you. I want to hear from you. I want to know that you love me, but there's been some sin in my life. Or maybe for you, it's not even a sin thing. Maybe there's some relationships that are broken. Maybe there's some sickness in your family. Maybe there's some financial strain. Maybe Maybe you're in a global pandemic, right? And so you're just going, Lord, I, I just need to know you love me. How am I supposed to know? Not just like, oh, you know, the Bible tells me so. I got it, right? It's here. But how am I supposed to know that? How am I supposed to know it? Well, let's go to the word for our answer this morning. First John chapter 4 is where we're going to be. First John chapter 4. Let's take our Bibles and go there now. This is week number 5 
of this sermon series in the book of 1 John. And so we're going to be in chapter 4 as we look at this big idea that to believe in Jesus is to know God's love. To believe in Jesus is to know God's love, which our kids all know this song, for the Bible tells me so. Like they've got that, but I think it goes back to that question of, yeah, but what about when I'm in that place of struggle? What about when it's like there's a voice in the back of my head just going like, how do you know? How do you know he loves you? Are you sure? You can't see him. You can't touch him. How do you know? Where in the Bible does it say that? What can you cling to? How do we answer the question when we are in that spot? Well, John in 1 John 4 is going to show us three ways. The first thing that he's going to show us is that we're going to know God's love that is in us. That is in us. Let's look at verse 13. 1 John 4. Starting in verse 13, John writes this. He says, by this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent a son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So John transitions from our talk last week where Ben talked to us about understanding the love of God. That was in verses 7 through 12. Well, here, starting in verse 13, he goes from understanding to knowing God's love. And the first thing that he says is, you know God's love because the Holy Spirit is in you. In fact, what he talks about right here, theologians would call the mutual indwelling, All right, which is kind of a big theological word. Let me explain it real fast, the mutual indwelling. When you become a follower of Jesus, when you surrender to Jesus as Lord and Savior, The Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit of God, if you're new to the Bible, just stay with me. It teaches that the Holy Spirit of God will come and take up residence in your heart. Right inside of you. Literally, it says in you. And it also says that we are in Christ. So he is in us and we are in Christ. That's where this mutual indwelling takes place. Now, it's not just something that church leaders made up to try to sound smart. Jesus teaches this. Back in the gospel of John chapter 14, where he says this, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, capital H, to be with you forever, talking about the Holy Spirit, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And then if you look over to verse 20, he says, in that day, you will know that I am I'm in my Father, and you are in me, and I in you. Did you hear that? So Jesus is teaching about this mutual indwelling that when you surrender to the Lordship of Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in you, and that you are in Christ. Now, some of you are going, okay, how do I know that, how do I know that the Holy Spirit is in me? How do I know? Do I do like, is there like a dance? You know, I'm going to know that dance now. Like these kids were, you know, the, that thing, you know, am I going to know how to do that? Is that how I'm going to know? Or are they going to do a blood draw and they're going to check it? And yup, you check out. Holy Spirit's in there. Like, check. We got you. You know, how are you going to know? Well, John gives us a test right here in verses 14 and 15. He says that it's when we confess Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. Now I want to clean something up real quick because... In the past, uh, I, I've been part of some churches where if you want to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, you got to come down front at the end of the service. 
It doesn't count unless you come talk to the pastor down front. So he would stand right here and we go, just as I am with and we'd sing just as I am, right? That's just what you did. You sang just every single church service. You had to sing that song. That was the magic song. And then you had to stand there. And if you wanted to accept Jesus, you had to be like, I really don't want to today. So you're holding the pew and your hands are sweaty and you're nervous. And you're like, oh, I got to do it. And then you walk down and you talk to the pastor. And he's going to talk to you and he's going to say, well, you have to say this. Jesus is Lord. And he goes, Jesus is Lord. And he's going to be like, tally mark, check. Got him. That's it, right? I got him, and it counts, but yet that's not what Scripture teaches. It's if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. It's by grace that you're saved through faith, not by works. It's not walking down front. It's not raising your hand. It's not saying the right prayer in the right order. It is faith in what Christ has done. It is faith in the atoning work of Christ on the cross. That is is what rescues us. And that is when the Holy Spirit comes in and takes up residence. There's a book written called Leadership Jazz by Max Dupree. And he tells a story about his granddaughter, Zoe. He says, when Zoe was born, she was born premature. In fact, the doctor that came in, the first doctor on the scene said, Zoe's probably not going to make it. There's like a 5% chance, maybe a 10% chance that she'll live more than a couple of days. She was so small that Max was able to take his ring and put it on her arm, and it would go all the way up to her shoulder. I mean, the teeny, 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 tiny little baby. Teeny, tiny. So small, the doctor said she's not going to make it. But there was a nurse, Nurse Ruth. Nurse Ruth went to the grandfather and said this. I just want to read it. She said, for the next several months at least, you are the surrogate father. So I want you to come to the hospital every day to visit Zoe. And when you come, I want you to rub her body and her legs and her arms with just the tip of your finger, just the tip. And while caressing her, you should tell her over and over how much you love her, how much you love her, because she needs to be able to connect to your voice and your touch. Church, we're like Zoe. We need the touch of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need to know that God is there, that he is real, that he is in us. We need that. That's why he has gifted us with the Holy Spirit. That's what that is. That is the touch of God and the voice of God in our lives. And maybe you're here, maybe you're online, maybe you're in the overflow room, and you're thinking, I don't know what you're talking about, actually. I've gone to church for a long time, but I've never really experienced that. I've never really experienced that thing where I know that God is there and that he is in me. I've never experienced that. Friends, my hope is that today you do not leave until making that right world because it happens through the confession with your mouth and your heart that Jesus is Lord and Savior of the world. It's, it's that faith step that you need to take, not that place where you're trying to do it all on your own, but it's the surrender and the atoning work of Christ on the cross. So we know that Jesus loves us by seeing that he is in us. The next thing that we're going to see is he's for us. He is for us. Let's look at verse 16. It says, so we've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us. So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear 
and love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So as we come to know God's love in us, we also know that he is for us. This is this concept that John has been teaching since this gospel, that, that God is love. And here he says, as he is, as Jesus is, so also are we. He's trying to give us courage right here. Because it is taught in Scripture that one day, friends, one day Jesus will return. And John's picture of this is amazing. He's like, when Jesus comes, he's going to be shining like the sun. This is not going to be friend Jesus. This is sword shooting out of the mouth Jesus. This is it. John laid his head on the chest of Jesus at one point. When John sees this image, he falls face down before Jesus. So he's like, one day Jesus will return. But what he teaches right here is that you don't need to be afraid. Christian, you don't need to be afraid when Jesus returns. Now, some of you, especially the older generation, you're like, oh, I've been taught that you've been sword out of the mouth. I mean, you, you've been taught that you better be afraid. Because that sin that's in your life, the shame that's in your life, the guilt that's in your life. And he says, no, when God looks at you, he's not going to see you. You're in Christ. He's going to see his son. He's going to see holy. He's going to see forgiven. He's going to see redeemed. That's what he's going to see. So you don't don't need to be afraid. The thing is, fear does set in, doesn't it? A quick story. I remember, because we all make mistakes. Um, I'm just more vocal about my mistakes, right? I remember I was a new dad, but not like new. I, I became a dad at 24 and this was a few years later. So, like, my oldest wasn't, like, this kind of a little kid. He's more like this kind of a little kid. And he was, like, kind of a little kid as a little boy that he would belly laugh when he was doing things that he knew, like, we probably shouldn't be doing. Like, when I would go in there and he's taking a bath and I would just start slapping the water as hard as I could, making water go everywhere. He would, like, you know what I'm talking about? Belly laugh. Like, the laugh of the, <laughs> that laugh that they do, and you're like, what is that noise you're making? So I splash more to make him do it more, you know, so, or I put him up on something high and tell him to jump, like, I'll catch you. He would belly laugh at that, like, I could die. This is awesome, you know, and he'd jump. He would just do it, you know, or I had this bike. You remember, like, back in the 90s, there was the really not cool bicycle seat thing. I don't know, I don't think they still have them. Maybe they I don't know how safe they are. Anyway, the bicycle seats are like plasticky that you mount to your bicycle and you set them back there and they just kind of sit and look around. You know what I'm talking about? They weren't very cool. But anyway, he, he didn't belly laugh at that. He was like, eh, I'll just sit here and look around. But Amy wasn't there one day. I think I've told this story before. So I did, you know the middle bar on the bicycle? I sat him on that. And I told him, put his feet up on the bar. What could go wrong, right? Just put your feet up here and hang on to the handlebars. So he's hanging on. And I don't know if we even did helmets back then. Probably not. Anyway, I'm just like, hang on, son. This is going to be fun. And we would just like roll down our friend's driveway. Just roll down the driveway. Again, what could go wrong, right? And we get to the bottom. And he is laughing. You know, again, again. And so I'd take him and walk the bicycle up. And we don't ever do this with your child. This is a bad, <laughs> bad plan. And so we just, kept, we just kept doing it over and over until one time, guys, I, I goofed. Like, I really goofed. And so I, I took the bike, and I, I think I turned the handlebars a little bit or something. So his foot slipped off and got caught in the spokes. And uh, he let out this scream, and it was one of the worst feelings I've ever had because I thought I just I mangled my child. You know, his foot did not look right. It was swelling immediately. Yeah, you got to load him up, take him to the emergency room and get the x-rays. 
Uh, and I'm pretty sure at that point, like, I've ruined my child forever. Like, I, I've ruined him. But there's a difference between hurting something and tweaking it, you know. And so he just tweaked it a little bit. He didn't hurt it, you know. He didn't break anything. He's fine. His feet grew to, like, size 14. So he lived through it. He was not traumatized. But here was where my fear was. My fear was facing Amy. <laughs> that was my fear. Because here I am doing something that I know I ought not do. Doing something I know, like, this is a bad plan. And Amy would have, she would have told me about it had she caught me doing this, right? And, and so I've got to go to her and hold this child up and say, I broke him. You know, that's, and so I just wanted to go home and pull covers over my head. That's what I wanted to do. I didn't. I went to the ER, right? But that's what I wanted to hide. And, and you guys know that feeling. So many of you, you know that feeling because there's been sin, or again, maybe it's not sin. Maybe you've just got some broken relationships. Maybe there's been something happened financially, there's, and there's just this shame that happens. There's this guilt that happens. This, it just washes over you, and maybe you don't want to do the blanket thing. Maybe you handle it by saying, I'm going to get really, really busy doing my work, and I'm just going to build and achieve and strive, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make more money. That's what I'm going to do. Maybe for you, you're like, I'm going to handle it with alcohol or with some other substance. Maybe you're like, I'm just going to surround myself with a whole bunch of friends and act like there's nothing wrong. But we are so good at masking it, aren't we? And you think we're original? Go back to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve in the garden, when they sin, what they do? Oh, we're going, now the Lord's not going to know. We're going to hide it. We're going to cover it. And now he's going to be like, oh, I have no idea, you know, and from that day to this day, we've continued the process. But do you see what John says? John says, no, here's how you know that God loves you. He's for you. He is for you. He's not against you. You don't need to be afraid. You don't need to live in fear. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came and lived and died and lived again so that you did not have to live in fear. That's why he came in the first place. The last thing I want us to look at is I want us to look at how his love is not just in us and it's not just for us, but we need to know his love that is between us. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So in this section, he goes back to where he started the whole thing out by saying, we need to love one another. This is so vitally important that we need to love one another. And then he has some strong language, doesn't he? Real strong language. Like if you came up to me and you said, hey, uh, Pastor Billy, this beard thing, like, mm, buddy, it's not working for you. Like there's a lot of gray. It makes you look way older. I just think it, like, I mean, I might hurt my feelings a little bit, you know, like, I don't know, it wouldn't make me feel very good, but I'd be like, okay. You know, or if you came and you said, uh, hey, Billy, I'm glad you had the beard, because when you didn't have the beard, like, you had a lot of face, and so <laughs> it, it's good. Like, no, you should keep that. Like, that's good. I, I, I wouldn't know whether, like, are you complimenting me or coming down? I don't know. I don't know which it is, right? But I, but I can handle, what I'm saying is I can handle it. But if you got up in my space right here, and you looked at me and you said, hey, Billy, I want you to know something. You're a liar. All right. Yeah, I, know, I mean, I know I'm a pastor. But there's some things that just, when I, it just makes me grip my teeth, right? I know I'm supposed to be patient and I'm supposed to be kind and I'm supposed to be gentle. 
and maybe you're way better at this than I am. You're way more like Christ than I am. I don't want people in my face screaming I'm a liar. Like, I, I don't. It is like all my southern roots start coming out right then, right? And I want to, like, puff up like a bullfrog. That's, that's how I feel inside. And that's the language John is using. John says, hey, if you say you love God, who, by the way, you can't see him. I love that he points it out, like, We know you can't see God. So if you say you love God, but you hate your brother or sister, you're a liar. You're lying to yourself and you probably don't even know it. Like you say you love God, but your actions don't say that you love God. So somewhere in you, you're doubting God's existence in the first place. This is the root of the issue. We can see the people in front of us. So we have a responsibility, church. We have such a responsibility to love for one another, to care for one another, to take care of one another. If you know there's conflict between a brother or sister, it is on you to make that right. In fact, he says this is how we're marked. He goes back to what Jesus says in John 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. So you too are to also love one another. Or I think we've quoted this every week of this series When they said Jesus was the greatest of all the commands, all the Hebrew commands, what's the greatest? He famously quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6. He says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then Matthew 22, the second is like it. To love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. This is how you're marked. So just picture yourself. Picture yourself Next week, watching the Super Bowl. You got Tom Brady, who, by the way, he's in the 40s. I feel like such a big baby because I work for 30 minutes on my shower. I'm trying to redo my shower, and it'll take me like six weeks because I do like 30 minutes at a time. And I wake up sore the next day. This guy is playing in the NFL in the Super Bowl, right? So anyway, how, how do you know when you watch a Super Bowl, which ones are the Christians? How do you know? Or let's imagine that you're watching some basketball or you go watch the girls play volleyball or, or, or let's say that you, um, you go to a baseball game. This, doesn't that sound good, baseball game right now? Even if you don't like baseball, you're like, man, some hot dogs, some, some peanuts, sitting with some friends in the sunshine. Like, doesn't that, that sounds good. It sounds real good, right? How do you know? How do you know which ones are the Christians? You know what we think? We think, well, you know, they're Go have a tattoo on them, a praying hands or something. That's how you know the praying hand tattoo or the little Trinity symbol. Or maybe they wear a big gold cross. That's how you know. Or baseball, you know, they all have their little thing they do. Watch for the baseball players that like tap the plate twice and then go. If you wrinkle up your face like that and point towards heaven, you're the Christian. Like that's, that's how we know. How do you know? Or let's get personal. Those of you in business, how do you know the people you do business with, whether they're Christian or not? Because they have the Jesus fish on their business card. Is that how you know? Or they have the haircut. And you're like, oh, the hair- Jesus got it. You got the Holy Spirit, the haircut. I got. Or those of you in the trades, how- is it the handshake? They do the Jesus handshake. And you're like, yeah, yeah, that guy, Christian, he did the handshake. That's how I know. How do you know? If we get real personal, how about those in your home? How do they know you're a Christian? Do they know just because you go to Woodside Bible? I hope it's more than that. I hope it's a lot more than that. How about your neighbors across the street or next door? How do they know you're a Christian? Here's what John would argue. John would argue that people are going to know you're a Christian because you are marked by the way that you love. 
So how do you love? It's got to be way more than words. It's got to be action as well. Guys, that's why we're doing this backpack thing. If you didn't grab a backpack and don't know for sure what I'm talking about, we have them sitting on the table right as you're leaving. There's a little card inside that has just a few, like $20 worth of items. And here's what I want you to do. These backpacks are going to go to people who are homeless or who are struggling. It's kind of hard to imagine that right now, I mean, there are people. You heard from Ben this morning, the number, thousands of people in our radius that, that they're literally living on the streets right now. Right in the middle of the snowstorm where I'm going, I don't know if our church is going to come to church or not, which you did. Like, I'm blown away. But there's people living outside right now. And so these backpacks will go just to say, hey, we love you. So will you do this as you're filling the backpack? Or maybe you're not in a financial spot where you can take a backpack today. Will you just be in prayer over the next few weeks for those who are going to be recipients of the backpack? As you pack them, here's what I want you to do. I want you... All right. It's all good. No stress. I just want you to be in prayer as you pack the backpack. I just want to make sure you were right. I was nervous. I thought, if she fell down, I don't want to ignore it. But you're good. No, all is well. As you're packing the backpacks, we do this. We just stop and we just pray for the person who's the recipient. We pray for them to understand God's love that can be in them. Will you pray for them to understand that God is for them? Even in the midst of what they're facing, the challenges they're facing, that God's for them. And we pray that they see God's love between us. Church, I don't want us just to come to church on Sunday. I want us to live this with our lives. There's got to be so much more than attendance on Sunday, and I checked the box. This truly has to be the world being transformed because of the way that we love one another. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this incredible day that you blessed us with. Lord, we thank you for that next generation, for our kids, for our students. Lord, we thank you for our adults who have a few more years' experience and are living out and showing us the example of how to live as Christ. We thank you for the people who are bold enough, who say, follow my examples. I follow the example of Jesus. Lord, I thank you for this church family who so selflessly continues to do this journey together. Lord, I pray for the individual who maybe this morning needed the reminder that Christ is in us and for us and working between us. Or Lord, maybe for that person who's never surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus, I pray that today is a day that they surrender and just say, I'm tired of doing this on my own and I believe that God loves me and sent Jesus who lived and died and lived again. Lord, I pray for them to have the freedom today to say, I'm trusting Jesus as Lord and Savior of my life. God continues to show us what it means to live as your kids. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand as we close our morning and worship together. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.